Let's get into the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 tonight and finish up our summer study of 2 Timothy. I hope you folks have enjoyed this as much as I have. Um, Before we get into 2 Timothy chapter 4 tonight, just quickly to go back just a little bit, if I had to divide 2 Timothy chapter 4 up, I would divide it up this way. The first two chapters, Paul is telling Timothy how to remain strong in his present circumstances. Timothy, I know that this is what you're going through right now. Here's how you stay strong. Here's how you endure. Here's how you persevere. Here's how you keep on going. Here's how you don't allow discouragement to overwhelm you. Here's how you keep on keeping on. First two chapters. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, I believe Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, I don't know what the future holds specifically for you, but what I'm going to share with you in chapter 3 and chapter 4 is how to stay strong in the future. I don't know what's going to happen in your future, but I can tell you how to stay strong in the future. In fact, I think the key verse for this whole book of 2 Timothy is really 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2 and verse 1. If somebody was to say, what's the key verse? I think it's 2 Timothy 2.1, where Paul says, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And when we looked at that verse several weeks ago, remember I said that that doesn't mean that somehow we grit our teeth and, and we say, ah, it's got to be stronger. No, it is allow God to strengthen you by the grace that is only found in Jesus Christ. It is allowing God to strengthen us by a power that is outside of ourselves. So it's not trying to find some power within us, just in and ourselves that is strong enough to meet the demands of life. It is allowing God to supply His power to us, and that power is only found in Jesus Christ. It is not found in anything else. It is not found in anyone else. And yet, when we are Jesus Christ strong, obviously we know that the Bible teaches, and hopefully we believe, that there is nothing in this universe more powerful than Jesus Christ. So if I'm Jesus Christ strong, it doesn't matter what I'm going through now. It doesn't matter what I'm going to face in the future. I'm going to be strong enough through the grace that can only be found in Jesus Christ to meet that demand. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. So then when he gets into chapter 3 and chapter 4, he begins to talk to Timothy about things that God has revealed to him is going to happen in the future. Now when we come into chapter 4, again remember this. Everything in this letter Paul did to encourage Timothy to hang in there, to keep on keeping on, to not throw in the towel, because I believe in the Apostle Paul's mind He thought Timothy was really teetering here. He thought that Timothy was very close to throwing in the towel and saying, I give up. I'm done with ministry. I'm done with serving the Lord. I'm done with the the Christian life. I'm just done. I'm done with it all. I'm tired of it all. And so everything that Paul writes is to encourage Timothy. So I think it's a great reminder that any time that we know of somebody who's that discouraged... We could send them to 2 Timothy. It'd be a great book for them to read. Anytime you and I begin to get discouraged, there are certain passages of Scripture that's just great places for us to go. Many times when we're discouraged, the Psalms in the Old Testament are a great place to go. But in the New Testament, there is no book more important to go to if we're discouraged than the book of 2 Timothy. So tonight, here's where Paul starts with. He could give no stronger language in the original language than how he starts out chapter 4 than these words. Timothy, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus. I want to stop right there. Because one of the things he's already reminding Timothy about is, Timothy, hopefully this piece of information alone is something that will help you keep on moving forward. And that is that, Timothy, don't forget something. Everything that you and I do as a Christian is always done before God, in the presence of God, 
We can never go outside of God's presence. We can never hide from God's presence. Everything we do is before God. So remember, Timothy, that God sees how discouraged you are. That's why he wants to send this letter to you and and send encouragement into your life because he understands how much you are hurting. He knows, all right? And because he knows and you are living your life before him too is all the more reason why you just need to keep on keeping on because he can give you the grace that you need to keep on keeping on. Everything is before him. He sees, he hears, he knows. In fact, keep your finger there in 2 Timothy and go over with me to the book of Hebrews. To Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul said, Timothy, I'm charging you as you live out your life before God and Jesus Christ. He's going to go on from there, but I want you to capture just that phrase. Because notice what the writer of Hebrews also says about that. Verse 13 of Hebrews 4. And no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. And part of also what Paul's, I think, inspiration in these first words in chapter 4 are to Timothy is, Timothy, remember, you can't hide from God. And and Timothy, you're going to have to give an account to God one day. And he's going to get more into that in just a moment. And you, you can't go anywhere. You can't hide your feelings. You can't hide your heart. You, you can't fool God. You can fool other people, but you can't fool God. And so remember, Timothy, as you live your life, everything is done before God. God is seeing. God is noticing. God is hearing. God is there. Sometimes that can be a comfort, sometimes it's not, but Paul just wants to remind Timothy, I believe that Timothy, you are living your life before God. Do it well, do it with honor, do it right, and hang in there. God will give you what you need to keep on moving forward because as God, he knows exactly where you are right now and what you are in need of because he is God. Then back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's just get a little bit further. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus who is going to judge the living and the dead. Let's stop there. (laughs) Again, the writer of Hebrews said, listen, because we live our life before God, there's coming a day where we have to render an account of how we've lived. So Timothy, you don't want to give up. You don't want to throw in it. You don't want to get before God one day and say, yeah, God, I I gave up. No. You want to keep on keeping on. You you want to keep on moving forward. You want to be able to say to God, yes, God, there was a moment where I was ready to quit. But then I remembered, you're there. You're seeing what I'm going through. And I don't want to have to stand before you, God, one day and say, yeah, I quit. Because I can't stand there and say I quit because you didn't give me what I needed to keep on moving forward because we've already seen in our study of 2 Timothy back to chapter 2 verse 1. That's not true. God will supply us with all the grace that we need, all the power that we need, everything that we need to keep on moving forward. So Paul says don't do it. Don't quit. The only person that God can never use is the person who quits. It's the only person that God can't use. God can use anyone else. And then there's even the cool thing that even some of us who have quit at somewhere along the line, we're willing to get back up and start over again. Don't quit, Paul says. Now, keep your finger in 2 Timothy and go back to 2 Corinthians. promise we're not going to jump around too much. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Good incentive here. For Christians, just like Paul was saying, Timothy, I solemnly charge you before God and Jesus Christ, the one who is going to judge the living and the dead. Notice what Paul said to the Corinthians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, can I just say this too real quick? I'm not going to go into this tonight. We don't have time. People freak out when they see the word judge or judgment in the Bible. They automatically think negative 
things. Don't think negative things when you see the word judgment or judging in the Bible. It's what context it's in. There are certain passages in the Bible where judge and judgment is a negative thing. But you've got to interpret it by its context. This context is not negative because here he's talking to Christians. And so he's not talking to us about God judging our sin. If we know what the gospel means and what we believe about the gospel, we know that the Bible teaches that God judged my sin on Christ, on the cross. It is done. It is finished. It is gone. It is cast into the depths of the sea. My sin will never be brought up to me again. So anytime the Bible talks about judgment in connection with the Christian, it's not talking about judgment for my sin. It's talking about how God will evaluate my Christian life. And the Bible does clearly teach that God is going to reward us for our faithfulness. And there are going to be degrees of reward in heaven. And there's going to be degrees of rewarding and responsibility in what for every Christian, because every Christian is not going to be equally committed or equally faithful or equally dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ while they're here on earth. And so Paul's just reminding Timothy, Timothy, you don't want to quit. Because notice, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or evil. And according to the scriptures, Christians are either going to be given reward or lose reward based upon their Christian life and how they lived it. Our sin has already been judged, but we are going to be evaluated for what we have done with our Christian life. What have we done with our relationship with Christ? What have we done with the Bible? All these things God is going to ask us to give an account of. And so Paul's just reminding Timothy, Timothy, you don't want to get to that day and stand before God and give an account and say, God, I quit. Threw in the, threw in the towel. He said, no. You want to hang in there. You want to be able to get to that day and say to God, God, I finished. I finished. It wasn't easy. God never promised our life would be easy. God never said it wouldn't be without trial and difficulty, but God did say and did promise that he would be there with us through everything and give us the grace that we need to keep on moving forward in spite of everything that we're facing and whatever demands are placed upon us so that we can say, I finished. And that's what Paul wants to remind Timothy of. That's what Paul wants to remind us of. You see, Paul wanted Timothy to keep that day in mind because a lot of times when we're struggling, the only thing we can see is right in front of us. In fact, for some of us, we've gotten so discouraged and so depressed in our life, sometimes we didn't even think we were going to be able to get out of bed the next day. It was like, how can I think about what meeting Jesus is going to be like one day? I can't even think about the strength to face this day. And Paul's saying, but... Yeah, we need to live every day as each day comes, but we also as Christians always need to keep that day in mind as well. Never living our lives each day without keeping that day in mind. That there's coming a day where you and I are going to be standing before the one who loved us and who loves us more than anybody else ever did, ever will in this universe. Jesus Christ. And we're going to give an account of our Christian life. Back to 2 Timothy. And then Paul says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus who is going to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Again, reminding Timothy, Timothy, remember Jesus is coming. He's going to appear on the scene one day. Hang in there. Be faithful. It's going to be worth it all one day. Back to what Paul said in Romans 8, 18, I reckon that the glory or the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us one day. Timothy, remember that day. Remember Jesus is coming. Remember it's not always going to be like this. Remember his appearing and his kingdom. Remember his kingdom is coming. 
And one day, as John said in the book of Revelation, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And oh, by the way, Revelation says, all of us will reign with Him. Wow. A kingdom coming. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, Timothy, you're going through a lot of muck right now in your life. But Timothy, Jesus is coming. His kingdom is coming. It's going to be worth it all one day to have lived and sacrificed and served the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, one of the other sort of underlying themes throughout this whole letter to Timothy is here's a guy who's ready to die. He knows his time on earth is short. He's sacrificed and lived for Christ for years and years. And here's a young guy who's going to look at him and go, okay, Paul. You're at the end of your life now. Was it worth it? You tell me, Paul. Was it worth it? And Paul is basically looking straight in the eyes of Timothy. He's not flinching at all. And he's saying to Timothy, eyeball to eyeball, Timothy, it has been worth everything I've went through. I wouldn't change a thing by the way I have lived my life. I am so glad I lived my life for Jesus Christ especially now that I've come to the end of my life. I have no regrets looking back on my life and saying, oh, I wish I would have gotten involved in that worldly thing over here. I wish I would have done more with that earthly thing over here. No, Paul says, I'm glad that I lived my life for Jesus Christ and for eternity and for his kingdom. Verse 2, preach the word or preach the message. Now again, remember, Timothy's a young pastor, so you get that here. But this is applicable to all of us as Christians. And basically what Paul is saying to Timothy and to all of us is, like we hear in political circles today with politicians when their handlers and stuff tell them, you've got to stay on message. And when a politician sometimes gets in trouble, it's because they got off message because they've got this certain thing that they want to make sure that they get out to their people, and so they want them to stay on their message. That's basically what Paul's telling Timothy. Timothy, first of all, we've got the message. And Paul says to Timothy, you've got to stay on message. You've got to proclaim and tell people the word of God. You've got to build your life on it, but you've got to proclaim the Word of God. It is the Word of God that's going to be the answer to what people are looking for. It's not in our opinions. It's not, you know, in what's the popular thing around the country nowadays or what's the next way the wind is blowing. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, preach the Word. Don't preach about the Bible. Don't, don't just preach that much of the Bible. Preach the Bible. Preach it all. Preach it faithfully. Give the Word of God out. Notice he says, be ready. Whether it is convenient or not. Always be ready. Always live your life, Timothy, with a readiness to be able to give to people the answer of hope that is within you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Be ready to tell people what you believe and why you believe it. Be ready. Be ready to serve the Lord when it's convenient or not convenient, in season, out of season. Just be ready all the time, Timothy. Get up every day with that mentality that today could be the last day that I live, could be the last day before I see Jesus. Jesus could come today. I'm going to make this day the best that I can possibly make it. I'm going to get out of this day the most that I can get out of it, and I'm going to be ready. Today I'm going to be ready. If God gives me an opportunity today, I'm going to be ready. If he brings somebody into my life that needs to hear about Jesus, I'm going to be ready. If, if God brings a Christian into my life that needs encouragement because they're discouraged, I'm going to be ready. But God, I'm going to live today being sensitive to what you have for me. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that I'm going to be ready no matter what you have for me today. Be ready, Timothy. Be ready whether it is convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. A couple things. First of all, Timothy, or Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, there's some people that they, they need some correction in their life. Their, their, their life is a little out of whack over here. 
And just like a doctor, they, they need a biblical prescription. They, they need a correction in their life. And, and the implication, too, is that these people are open to it. Just like the word rebuke that, you know, sometimes, oh, I don't like that word rebuke. But there are some of us that have people in our lives that we allow them, and we should have at least a couple people in our lives, that allow us to tell us what we need to hear rather than what we want to hear. And if you don't have somebody like that in your life, guess what? That's not the way a Christian should be living their life. Because it is our responsibility to reprove, rebuke, and exhort each other within the body of Christ. Now again, if somebody doesn't want us to, there's not much we can do except pray that their heart will get to a point where they will be willing to hear what they need to hear. But the other thing is we need to be ready to teach the Word and preach the Word and share the Word with people who are open and willing to hear what God has to say. Now, there's a way you do it though too. Notice he ends verse 2 by saying, with complete patience. First of all, just like in our lives, it takes time to develop Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. Spiritual growth and maturity and Christ-likeness doesn't happen overnight. It is a lifetime process. And, And I think it grieves the heart of God when as Christians we get so critical of each other because we expect more out of this person over here than we even do of ourselves. And we expect this person to go from living a, a totally, you know, outside God lifestyle, and we expect them to come into the church, hear the gospel, get saved, and then all of a sudden go from point A on the spiritual scale to point Z overnight. Well, wait a minute. That didn't happen with me. I don't think it probably happened with you. So why are we not patient with others and allowing them time to grow up? We've got to let the Word of God take effect in their life and then give it time to work and give God time to work and be patient and not be so pushy like people can be. You know, I've seen Christians totally discourage and destroy young Christians by expecting them to turn in from a baby Christian to super Christian overnight. First of all, I've known people that's been saved for 40 and 50 years and wouldn't consider them super Christian. You know, it takes time. We've got to be patient with each other. And then, I love this, and instruction. And I think what Paul is simply saying is, It's so easy for us to look at other people and be critical and criticize them and see in their lives what they're not doing, but we don't provide any solutions for what what they could be doing or should be doing or what could they be doing in its place. And all Paul is simply saying is there comes a time in the body of Christ for reproof, for rebuke, for exhortation, yes, but it better be patient And it better be with instruction. In other words, instead of just cursing the darkness, we better be showing them what the light is. If if I'm going to come alongside of somebody and they're going to be willing to hear what I have to say to them about something in their life that needs correcting, then I also need to tell them, "Here's here's how you can do it better. Or here's how you can do it right. Or here's how you can change that into a more positive thing over here. You see, it's instruction. It's not just telling people what maybe they're not, but giving them the tool to know what what they can be doing, you see. And it's a much more positive thing there. And so that's why Paul says it's got to be with patience, it's got to be with instruction. Very easy to look at other people, but Paul says, give them what they need, don't just curse where they are. And here's why Paul is so adamant about preaching the Word and keeping the Word of God very central in our lives as Christians and as the body of Christ. Notice verse 3. Because there's coming a time, and I think that time was already beginning in Timothy and Paul's time, but as we've already studied in 2 Timothy, 
It's only going to get worse as we go through the stages of history. In fact, just to remind you, look up at verse 13 of chapter 3. Evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. So the picture that the Bible paints is not that the world's going to get better, but that it's going to get worse from a spiritual perspective. We have a lot of advances in technology and everything else, but morally speaking, character-wise speaking, it's going to get worse. And part of what's going to make it worse, verse 3 of chapter 4, for there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. The word sound there, healthy teaching, whole teaching, teaching that makes somebody spiritually healthy and fit. And basically, what Paul is saying is, there's going to be a time when people will not want to hear that kind of teaching. Or let's even say it this way, there's going to be a growing tendency as we move through history that people will be less and less inclined to hear what they need to hear, and they will, they will look for things that they want to hear more and more. Notice, instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. Well, that means also that they're rejecting what's true. And now all of a sudden they always want to hear something new. We talked about that back in chapter 3. Where Paul says, they're always learning something new, but they're never able to really settle on the truth. That's, that's a real issue today. People always want to hear new things, but what Paul is saying, what the Bible is saying, that the truth has already been declared. The truth has already been revealed. It's Jesus Christ. And if you move past Jesus Christ onto something new, you can search for the rest of your life. If you bypass Jesus Christ, you bypass the truth and the only answer to your life and to all of life. And therefore, instead of always looking for something new, you've got to come back and settle on Jesus Christ and not move past Christ. Something new. And notice verse 4. And they will turn away from hearing the truth. I mean, think about that. They don't even want to hear the truth anymore. That won't even be a, an issue for them anymore. It's going to be, I'm going to totally not only reject the truth, I'm going to turn away from it. It doesn't even interest me anymore. Don't want to hear it. Probably because it's too convicting. Could be one of the reasons why. And they will... On the other hand, they will turn aside to myths, fables, people's opinions, but not be settled on the truth. So you can begin to see the climate that Paul is painting here. He's saying as we get closer to the return of Christ, more and more people are going to turn away from the truth. And that's why it's so important that churches, that Christians, that Bible colleges, seminaries stay on message and stay on the truth because there's going to be this temptation down through history to pull away from the truth. Harvard and Yale, at one time in our nation's history, were the most solid, fundamental training grounds for preachers in, the, in our country. Harvard and Yale. They were the bastions of good theology. Somewhere along the line, they departed from staying on the truth, and they abandoned the truth, and they embraced what was false. There have been Bible colleges and seminaries down through American history that basically at one time taught the truth to young pastors and missionaries and, and people who were interested in hearing the Bible, and now they have turned away from the truth. There are churches that dot our landscape just in America that on Sunday there was a time where you could go and you could hear the truth. You could hear the word of God. But they have long abandoned that long ago and you can no longer go to that church and hear the Bible. There are Christians that used to hold the Bible 
as the very center and foundation of their life, but they have moved away from that and they have found something new that has captured their imagination. Be careful of the new when the old was the answer. It is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Oh, there's a couple names I could share right now, but the Holy Spirit's telling me, hold my tongue. So notice the contrast in verse 5. You, however, in other words, Timothy, please, Timothy, don't abandon the Word. As we saw last week, the Word is sufficient. It tells us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. The Word is what we want to stay on. So you, however, Timothy, be self-controlled in all things. Keep your head. When everybody else is flipping out, when everybody else is going after something new, Timothy, you stay right there on the Word of God. And Timothy, even if you are the last man on earth to say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I stand on his word, even if everybody else turns away, Timothy, you be Jesus strong and you hang in there. Don't allow the departure and the defection of all these other people who have abandoned the Bible and churches that have abandoned the Bible and Bible colleges and seminaries that have abandoned the Bible. Timothy, don't that be said of you one day. You stay on the word. You, however, be self-controlled in all things. Endure hardship. Timothy, hardship's coming. I'm not telling you that it's not going to be hard because, again, as more and more people defect from church, defect from the Bible, defect from hearing the truth, how much harder is it going to be? That goes back to that whole discouragement thing. I'm a Christian over here. I'm trying to live my life for Christ. I'm trying to do it right. And I look around and I see the rest of the world going the other direction. How much stronger then do I personally have to be to be able to stay strong when the rest of my family, maybe my friends, maybe my church, whoever, is beginning to defect God and defect the Word of God? And that's what Paul saw in the future. That's why we've got to be Jesus Christ strong. Because there's going to come a time in our lives where people close to us, our family and friends, are going to say, I, I've moved past the Bible. Don't, don't need the Bible anymore. That's, that's old-fashioned. That's culturally irrelevant. We're, we're enlightened today. There's new things out there. I don't need the Word of God anymore. And we need to be able to say, that's fine, that's your choice, but I'm standing on the Word of God. Do an evangelist work doesn't mean that God expects everybody to be an evangelist like Billy Graham. But what it does mean is simply this. When God gives me the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ, I better seize that opportunity. Especially in the days in which we live, where there's so much that's false out there. There's so much deception. There's so much going on out there and so much filtering around our world that just clouds people's minds and they're so confused and there's no clarity in their life and they're looking for direction they're looking for answers we need christians to stand up and say i have the answer i know who the answer is it's found in jesus he's your answer that's what he means by doing evangelist work and then i love this at the end of verse five fulfill your ministry he's simply saying timothy and here's really the key to the whole letter God gave you a ministry, Timothy. Finish it. Fulfill it. See it to its end. Don't quit. Hey, especially probably the guys in here, we can identify with that. Projects that you have around the house that you started, never finished, you know. Although we could all probably say there's things that we've started in our life and we never finished. Man, and, and, and some of these things, we were excited about starting, you know. Well, I can't wait to get involved with that and, and whatever, and then, you know. It's even like a Bible study like this. We know. Like when we start back in August, our biggest attendances will be the first three weeks when we start back August 19th, 20-something, and then like the first Tuesday in September. After that, attendance begins to wane, wane, wane until the end of the semester you have your... Because what people start out very strong, they don't finish very well a lot of times. They, they don't have the same 
enthusiasm for something when they start it or when they end it and when they're finishing it as they did when they started it. That's why Paul says, Timothy, here's the mindset you've got to have. You've got to look at your life and your Christian life as a marathon, not as a sprint. And you've got to realize that the goal here is not to necessarily how you got started, but how you finished. That's the most important thing. And God wants you to finish well. And he will give you everything you need to finish well so that you can stand before him and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why I notice this great transition. In verse 6, 7, and 8, Paul's basically giving Timothy his own testimony. He's saying, Timothy, I am an example before you, somebody that you have known very well who was able to finish well. Not because I was so big and powerful and strong, but because I was Jesus strong. And so notice what Paul says. I am already being poured out as an offering. He pictures himself as the drink offering in the Old Testament. It was the very last offering on the burnt offering. The animals would be brought and they would be completely burned. And the last thing that was placed on that burnt offering was a drink offering that literally would be vaporized as it hit the burnt flesh of that carcass. And Paul's saying, that's my life. I lived my life as an offering to God, and now, as I die, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And the time for me to depart is at hand. I love the confidence in that. Man, when people are facing death, the words of Paul are so assuring, because he doesn't see death as the end. In fact, the word depart is a traveler term in the original language. It was used for people either to pack up tents, like Paul was a tent maker. I'm packing up my tent, and I'm just going to camp somewhere else. So for Paul, it was like, I'm packing up my tent on earth. I'm pitching my tent up in heaven. Or it was also used for for seamen and sailors. It was a term that just meant, I'm raising my anchor here, and I'm going to place my anchor up there. There was no thought of it being negative in any respect. In fact, Paul said to the Philippians, if I had to decide myself, I'd rather depart and be with God in heaven because it's far better up there than I could ever be on earth. But if God still has a job for me down here, then I'll be faithful to him and I'll stay down here and do it to the very best of my ability and I will fulfill that ministry. I'll make sure it is finished. Notice he uses these athletic terms beginning in verse 7 that he's used throughout this letter. I competed well. I finished the race. And I kept the faith. Wow. Can I just say that ever since I first read those words in my Bible, years ago, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, when I was young, those verses were verses that I thought to myself, boy, I hope someday that Jeff Royce, at the end of my life, could say those same verses. I competed well. I finished the race, I kept the faith. Now, I want to say this, and I hope this will be a great encouragement to you. You notice that Paul here is emphasizing the finish. Because the more important thing is not how I began the race, but how I finished the race. Because there are some of us in this room that maybe we didn't start off very well. Or maybe even in the middle of the race, we fell down big time, but we got back up again. And the important thing from God's perspective is not how we began, how early we began the race in life, what happened, it's just finishing well. Because some of you, you know, you're, you're, well, you know, Lord, I fell down along the way. But you know what? The language in verse 7 doesn't say anything about getting middle ways through the race and not falling. He's simply saying, I got to the end and I finished well. And, and God wants every one of his children to just finish well. He realizes there's going to be bumps and bruises and, and falls and all that kind of stuff along the way. But God just wants his children to finish well and focus on finishing well. And here's why. 
Paul again reminds him of the reward that awaits. He says, finally, verse 8, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day. Again, using that athletic, Olympic idea. God's going to reward me. And the word that he uses there is the same word they use for the laurel wreath that they placed around the Olympic champions in Paul's day. They didn't have gold medals. They had wreaths that they would place around their head. And Paul said, get this, guys. They do all this for a wreath or a gold medal. We do this for eternity. That's what we do ours for. And not to me only, Paul says. Guess what? That means you and me. That means we can be part of this too. Not to me only, but also to all who have set their affection on his appearing. My heart, my desires, my focus, my affection is not on the things of this world. But they are on Jesus Christ, living for him, staying true to him and true to his word. Even if the rest of the world says goodbye to Christ, goodbye to church, goodbye to the Bible, I'm going to stay true to God. I'm going to finish well. So help me God. I'm going to move on because I want to finish tonight. Verse 9, Paul tells Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. Because one of the people that Paul wanted with him when he died, when his life ended, was Timothy. That says a lot about that relationship. We've talked about how important relationships are in our life to endurance and perseverance that we gain great encouragement from each other in the right relationships. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we can be such a great encouragement to each other, but we can also be a big downer in discouragement to each other. And we've already talked about the fact that Onesphorus was a breath of fresh air, a refreshment for Paul over and over again. And Timothy was as well. And Paul wanted Timothy there. Let me ask you a question. If you knew this was the last week you had on earth, who would you want to hang around? Who would you want to call up like Paul and say, hey, this is the last week I got. I want you here with me. Who would that be? And then flip that around and think, is there anybody in my life that would say that I am such an encouragement that they would want me around? If this was the last week they were alive? Would they call upon me because we just have that kind of relationship? That's how powerful relationships can be. That's how powerful Paul and Timothy's relationship was. Notice he says, Demas, verse 10, has deserted me. See, sometimes I think we forget that people in the Bible, including the Lord Jesus himself, knew what it was like to be deserted, betrayed, have people turn their back on them. Probably everybody in this room, we've had a relationship where we had somebody desert us. Paul knew what that was like. In fact, what caused Paul even greater pain about that relationship is that was at a time when he needed people the most in his life. And we've been there too. When we needed them the most, and yet they turned their back on us and deserted us. And notice what Demas turned his back on Paul for. He loved the present age. Wow. He fell in love with the things of the world that really do not satisfy. And it it reminds us again that if I'm not growing as a Christian and I'm not moving forward, I'm automatically moving backward because there's no such thing as being static in the Christian life. And Demas, if you study this out, Demas was one of Paul's companions and people he could count on through his missionary journeys. And now Paul, at the end of his life, can't count on him because Demas deserted him because there was a point, we don't know when, when Demas' Christian life, instead of going forward, began to go this way. 
And he got to the point where his heart was so enraptured by the things of this world that he not only said goodbye to Christ as far as his faithfulness to Christ, he said goodbye and deserted one of his dearest friends on earth. That's what lack of spiritual growth can do in Christians' lives. That's why we need to encourage Christians to continue to study the Word and grow because if we're not progressing, we are regressing and we can get to the point where we can turn our back on the greatest love we will ever know and turn our backs on people who love us the most. And that's exactly what happened with Demas. That's why Paul is saying, Timothy, hang in there. You don't want to quit, not just for yourself. You don't want to quit for those around you who are counting on you to be faithful. I remember there was a time a few years ago as a pastor where I went through, many of you know, such a hurtful experience that me and my family basically said, never again, I'm quitting the ministry, I'm never going to teach the Bible or be in the ministry ever again. And one of the thoughts, as God healed me from that experience, it came into my heart and into my mind, God said, Jeff, don't quit just for yourself. You hang in there because I still got people that I want you to talk to about me. You got to hang in there, not just for you, but for them. And you do too. There are people in your life that are counting on you to stay faithful to Christ. There are people in our church and and people in our community and people that we don't even know yet and we haven't even met yet and we haven't even laid eyes on or know their name, but one day they're going to count on your faithful example of what it means to follow Christ, especially in the days in which we live where there's so much defection and so much unfaithfulness that we need more than ever Christians who are solid and who are faithful and who will stay true to God no matter what is going on in this world. We need you folks, and we need more and more people in this church and around this country and around this world to stand up and be strong in Jesus Christ. Notice verse 11. Only Luke is with me. A lot I could say about that, but that's just precious right there. Get Mark. And bring him with you because he is a great help to me in ministry. i got to stay here for a few minutes. And I'm so glad i got a few minutes. Because here's a verse of second chance. Let me just quickly review this. This is cool. Mark, the guy that Paul at the end of his life is saying, get him. I want him close to me as I approach death as well. Because he's a great help to me. This is the same Mark that Paul and Barnabas were arguing over in the book of Acts. And because Mark was unfaithful, Paul didn't want to take Mark anymore on any missionary journeys. And remember the story in Acts? Paul and Barnabas had such a heated argument that they split up. And Paul took Silas and Barnabas took Mark and they split up and they never were together again. This is that Mark. What's that tell you? That tells me that Mark got a second chance. That maybe in God's eyes, in Paul's eyes, maybe Mark was unfaithful. Maybe Mark blew it. Maybe Mark didn't deserve a second chance. But our God is the God of second chances. He's the God of 10,000 chances. And he gave Mark a second chance to redeem himself, not only to himself, to God, but to Paul. And now there's come a point in this relationship where now it's restored. And not just restored, but where one of the guys that Paul wants to make sure is with him at the end of his life is Mark. Wow, talk about maybe not starting out very well, but finishing strong and making sure how we finish. Mark is a great encouragement to all of us. Because Mark didn't start out the Christian life very well. In my own words, and my own sort of commentary and interpretation, Mark was probably a bumbling idiot. But he learned through continued spiritual growth what it really meant to serve the Lord. And he grew, and he grew, 
And God began to use him and use him and use him and grow him. And he began to make progress and progress and progress to the point where Paul's like, he don't even look like the same guy that was back there in Acts on my missionary journeys. God has totally transformed his life. And can I just say, if God can do that with Jeff Royce and God can do that with Mark, God can do that with you or with anybody that we know. And so Paul says to Timothy, don't forget about Mark. He didn't start out well, but he certainly is finishing well. And then verse 12, I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. I believe that Tychicus was going to relieve Timothy of his ministerial duties so that Timothy could go and visit Paul. And when you come, bring, you, bring with you the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus and the scrolls, especially the parchments. Paul doesn't have long to live. You, you notice something, though, about Paul? He never stopped learning, growing, reading, studying, even though he knew his life was short. What an inspiration to Timothy, to me. You and I should never get to the point where we, we stop, where we plateau. Oh, I've, I've learned enough. Don't, don't need to learn anymore. The Apostle Paul was maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived, and even at the end of his life, he's like soaking up copies of the Bible. Give, give me a few pages of that book and, and, and bring the parchment of the book of Deuteronomy and, and, and give me the scroll of Ezekiel and I want to soak up the Word of God. Wow. How precious was a few pages to Paul in prison before the end of his life. How precious are a few pages of Scripture to those Christians in communist China that would give everything including their life, just to get their hands on a few pages of this book. And yet many times we Christians in America, we have five or six Bibles at home and we never pick it up and read it. Alexander, verse 14, the coppersmith, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him in keeping with his deeds. First of all, coppersmiths, silversmiths, a lot of the reason why they were doing Gospel messengers' harm was because they were involved in creating the idols that people worshipped. So when the gospel would come into a, uh, a town and people would turn to Christ and throw their idols away because they knew that those idols weren't anything, obviously it would upset the business, the cash flow of the silversmiths and coppersmiths, and they got quite upset about it because they were losing money by people coming to Christ. And so Paul said... Yeah, he did me a lot of harm. But notice what Paul said. He didn't say, I sat around in prison trying to figure out how I could get him back. No, he said, I'm releasing him to the Lord. Yes, he did me a lot of harm. He hurt me. He, he caused me a lot of pain. But I'm not carrying that through my life. And I'm certainly not carrying that on my way to death. I've released that a long time ago. The Lord will repay him. One of the things that weighs us down and causes us a lack of perseverance and endurance in our life is when we choose not to forgive and we harbor those hurts and the bitterness and all of that inside of us. Those are weights, folks, that will never allow us to finish the Christian life strong. The Bible doesn't tell us that there won't be people in our lives who will wound us, hurt us, betray us, desert us, and all of that, but the Bible does tell us how to deal with it. Give them over to the Lord. If they need to be spanked, if, if they need judgment in their life, if they need some kind of correction, God will do it. He'll, he'll make sure that they get what they deserve. But it's not up to me or to spend my energy on trying to seek revenge or, or try to make sure that they get what's coming to them. That's going to weigh me down. That's a weight in my life. If I'm going to endure and persevere, I've got to let it go and let them into God's hands and let God take care of them. He does tell Timothy, you be on guard against him too, because he vehemently opposed our words. You, you notice, just because in a sense Paul has forgiven and released Alexander into God's hands, to do, it doesn't mean that we don't, we're not cautious about people like that. We certainly are cautious, because maybe they haven't changed, so you know, we're not going to put ourselves out there to get burned again. That would be stupid on our part. But it does mean we release them to God 
and let God take care of them instead of us trying to take care of the situation. And then I love this, verse 16, at my first defense, no one appeared in my support. Instead, they all deserted me. And then almost like the words of Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Paul, may they not be held accountable for it. One of the most important days of Paul's life, standing before the Roman council, as he looks around, a prisoner, but a prisoner not because he had really done anything wrong other than stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's standing there with the Roman council. You get the picture. All the Roman officials around, all the soldiers, everybody around. And as Paul looks around at the courtroom, is there one other Christian that's willing to stand with him? No. And Paul's saying to Timothy in this picture of his own life, Timothy, if I had the strength to stand before the Roman council by myself because I was standing in the strength of Jesus Christ, then you can stand there too. And there may be coming a time, Timothy, in your life where you may feel like you are standing all alone by yourself for Jesus Christ. But you can do it, Timothy, because Jesus Christ is strong enough to help you do it. I think Paul is simply reminding Timothy, Timothy, if everybody in your life would turn away from Christ, you have the strength inside of you through Jesus Christ to stay faithful to Christ, even if everybody else in the world would turn their back on Christ. Notice this, though, verse 17. Though maybe we look around and don't see any other human being with us, we never stand alone as Christians. Amen? Because Paul says in verse 17, but the Lord stood by me. And strengthen me. And even in those times where we feel alone, and maybe literally we are alone, we are never alone as a child of God. God is always standing there with us, and not just standing there, but wanting to strengthen us. Because He doesn't promise us that we will never have to stand alone. But he does promise us that he will stand there with us and strengthen us in order to stand alone. I had a conversation a couple years ago with a, a gal who came from a Muslim background. And obviously when she gave her life to Christ, her family, her friends, everybody just disowned her. Just turned their back on her and basically said, you're dead to us. We, we don't even... We don't even pretend like you exist anymore. When we look at that, those of us who've never had to take that kind of a stand, we wonder, how can somebody do that? They, do, they did it the same way Paul did it. They did it because she wasn't standing alone when she took that stand for Christ. She was standing and the Lord was standing with her and he was strengthening her to do that. Notice, so that through me, the message would be fully proclaimed for all the Gentiles to hear. God has me going through this for a purpose, and so I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Many people believe the lion here refers to Nero. I just simply believe the lion is a reference in the Bible to, to sort of the clutches of disaster. And that Paul is simply saying, God delivered me, from, from disaster. And we know if you study the life of Paul, he was delivered from disaster many times. And notice, verse 18, God, uh, Paul's confidence. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's not saying that he didn't have to go through difficulties through his life. What he is saying in 2 Timothy 4.18 is this. Nothing is going to keep me from getting to my final destination. My final destination is heaven. My final destination is glory. My final destination is to be with Jesus and the saints of all time. And nothing that Satan or all the demons or all the Romans or whoever is going to be able to do is going to be able to keep me from meeting my final destination because my destiny is in God's hands, not man's hands. That's confidence. And that's the kind of confidence and strength that God wants His children to have. And you see why this is so important. 
We want our circumstances to change. We as Christians want the world to change to make it easier. And God says, no, the world's not necessarily going to change and not necessarily are your circumstances going to change, but I can change you in order to raise you to meet those circumstances. As it's once been said, don't pray for an easy life. Pray for a life with God to match whatever life is. So often, hard times come into our life. We live in a world where there is ever-increasing challenges as we talked about last week. And all we as Christians do a lot of times is just hope that God delivers us from this real soon. Because we don't want to be here any longer. And I get that, and God gets that, but God is also saying, folks, don't forget, I've got you there for a reason, just like I put Esther in the kingdom for such a time as this. And I don't want you to shrink from your responsibility no matter how tough it gets. I want you to be Jesus strong and stand up in the world in which I have placed you. We don't need need easier times. We need stronger Christians, stronger churches, stronger Bible colleges, stronger seminaries, stronger people of the Word to stand up and meet the demands of the world in which God has placed us. Greetings to Prisca and Aquila and the family of Onesphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth. Trophimus, I left ill in Miletus. The only thing I'm going to say about that, because I'm not going to get on this tonight, so don't even get me going. But I will say this. This verse, along with many other verses, clearly teach us That it's not always God's will to heal. Trophimus, I left ill at Miletus. You can study that verse till the cows come home. You can't come up with anything other than Trophimus, I left ill. I didn't heal him. If I prayed for his healing, he didn't get healed. It certainly wasn't because we would say, well, Paul didn't have the faith. He left him ill. Verse 21. Make every effort to come before winter. Greetings to you from Eubulus. I love these names. If I had more children, these would be the names, right? (laughs) Pudins. There you go. Or puddins, however you want to say it. Linus. Who knew Linus was in the Bible? No wonder Linus was the Charlie Brown character that came out during the Christmas special and gave the Luke thing. I mean, he was a Christian, right? Claudia and all the brothers and sisters, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. In closing out our study tonight, I want to direct you back to verse 21 to the beginning, though. I think this is an important point. Paul tells Timothy, come before winter. That was important, first of all, because Paul didn't know how long he had left. It wasn't a long time, so if Timothy delayed, he wasn't going to see him before he passed. And second, he knew that winter meant that sailing on the Adriatic Sea for Timothy to be able to get from Ephesus to Rome was going to be no chance. So if he was going to do it, he had to do it before winter. And what this verse reminds us of in principle is simply this. There are some things that we can sort of let go. They don't need to be a priority. They don't need to be taken care of now. We can put them off. They don't need to be the first thing I take care of. But there are some things right now in my life that I put off to my own peril. And I would like to leave our Bible study this summer with just asking you this question. And letting you leave from this place just pondering between you and God what that is. What is it that God is asking of you and of me right now? Not to put off, not to delay, not to think about it anymore, not to pray about it anymore, but what is clearly God saying, Jeff, don't put it off one more day. I need you to 
do this, deal with this. I need you to go to this person maybe, encourage, whatever, it, whatever that looks like. What is it that God wants me to do before winter? Before the opportunity to get that done and maybe get it right or whatever is going to be too late when winter comes. And that season is going to be passed and then that opportunity is passed. Paul says, come before winter. Do it now before it's too late. Guys, I want to thank you for being here these four weeks. I have certainly enjoyed it. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Don't forget that the mine officially with worship and Seth and the band and everything starts back up August the 19th. Tuesday night we'll have child care. I would encourage each of you as you leave and get one of those mine cards tonight to ask the Lord who does God want me to invite with me back on August 19th to study the book of James together? And then for those of you, I would love for everyone here tonight to take one of those cards about the Bible college classes here at Cornerstone. Again, you may not take it for yourself, but you may know of somebody in your family, in your neighborhood, a friend, somebody who even goes to another church, because one thing I want to say is, we have advertised this in all the area churches around Chandler. We don't care who comes. We're not trying to pull people away from their church. We're just trying to offer Bible college courses right here on our campus to people who've always wanted to study the Bible at that level. It's open for anybody. So you may know of somebody that you want to give that to and say, I thought this would be something you'd be interested in. And a, a, a guy that I go and study the Bible with every once in a while one of the classes they're offering is the Gospels. You might be interested here. Just asking you to pray about it and ask God if there's somebody in your life that you could give that to. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. God, I pray that you would just so encourage and strengthen us tonight. God, you certainly lay out the fact that life isn't always going to be easy. That the world in which we live and the circumstances that surround us aren't always going to be easy, but that you will give us the strength, even if we have to stand all by ourselves, that you'll give us the strength to do it. And we never really do stand by ourselves as a child of God because you're always standing there with us. God, I pray that even tonight there may be somebody who came into this building tonight who felt like they were all alone. They were ready to give up. They were discouraged. They were ready to throw in the towel. And by your word and through your spirit, you encouraged them tonight because you reminded them they are not alone in this world. And you're going to give them the strength to keep on keeping on. Lord, take us from this place encouraged tonight and help us to be an encouragement to others this week as we meet them and interact with them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, have a great week. I love you. Take care.